Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Cool. Well, we're about to uh, do a little bit of a sermon time. Uh, This week, we're not going to do what uh, I had planned. I planned to start a little series called uh, Formation Stories, uh, which is something that we'll start next week, uh, looking at what formed Abraham. How did God form Abraham uh, into a father? How did God form Joseph uh, into a hero? How did God form Moses uh, into a leader and a number of other leaders through the uh, story of the Old Testament, just to get us a little bit of time in the Old Testament scriptures. So often we're in the New Testament and to just see some of the wisdom that's there, see uh, Christ on every page. And uh, so we do really want to do that. But um, there's just uh, a sense that there's just so much going on right now in terms of culture going on around us in terms of the news, um, so much happening in terms of uh, where we're at with the state of the lockdown and all of that. It just, as a pastor, I, I look out, maybe I can take a little survey of conversations I've had or a little look out at uh, some of what I see on social media. I spent a little bit of time actually this week and I, I, I'm often a one-way street on social media as I'll put things out there and then I don't really go out to see what other people are saying, which is pretty bad. But I took some time to just look around and, uh, and, and I could see a sense of agitation, a little bit more fear than I might normally see and a little bit more anger in some cases than I might normally see and just uh, something in my my shepherd's heart and I think maybe at the leading of the Lord uh, feeling just a need to to kind of gather the sheep to kind of gather people and to center us and to to help us uh, navigate these these challenging times by looking at the scriptures around some of the issues that are are getting us stirred up Um, that's not to shut down discussions or not to uh, diminish the way conversations are happening at all. I think dialogue is hugely important, but I really think that there's uh, some things that we can look at in the scriptures that will help bring us together and unify us and uh, and help us be at peace in this uh, sort of challenging time. Uh, some of those questions, some of them are kind of fun ones and some of them are really challenging ones, but these are the sort of questions that I think are, uh, are present to us, whether we're articulating them this clearly or not. Uh, the question, why are more churches not challenging the lockdown rules. You see an enormous amount of uh, sort of agitation around whether to meet or not to meet. Um, what if the church's role in politics and protest, uh, obviously what we've seen in the U.S. over the last several days, um, raises that kind of question. Uh, how can I know uh, what is true and what's a conspiracy theory with so much information flying around and so many sources to look at, uh, with the media platforms uh, being selective about the information that they put out, uh, with all kinds of different sources that are available? Um, how do we really filter through all that and find the truth? I think that's a very, very important question for us. Uh, there's lots of questions about vaccines. Uh, what should the role of social media be in our lives? And of course, the question, where is God in all of this? Where is he in this time? And so I think I, I think it's just good for us to walk through some of these. Uh, some of this will be familiar. We've walked through this earlier in the um, in the process of going through uh, COVID, but I think some of it's just useful for review and hopefully will come to us in a bit of a fresh way. So I want to just ask this question first. 
Um, why is our church or why are other churches uh, like ours uh, not um, uh, challenging lockdown rules? And this is actually partly in honor to Jim, a question that he asked last week in the pastor on the hot seat. And we just didn't get a chance to answer it time-wise, wondering why isn't there sort of a coalition of churches that is sort of gathering to say, hey, it's the right and it's the place of the church uh, to be meeting in this time. Why aren't we fighting this more? Um, and uh, that's obviously something that we really debated early on as a leadership team, as a leadership community early in the process when COVID came. Was this something that we were going to sort of push the boundaries on or did this seem like a place to obey? And upon prayer and upon listening to the, the scriptures, uh, we just felt like the Lord surfaced some things to us that uh, seemed important uh, as we navigated. And I think this is common to a lot of churches that are uh, just sort of quietly doing their streams and doing Zoom calls and all of this rather than making a lot of noise. So just going to walk us through this scripturally. Uh, The first scripture I wanted to bring us to is Matthew chapter 23, 29. And it's just as simply this command, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I just want to bring us back to this principle uh, that the reason we protect other people and the reason we sort of look at the risk of transmission of infection and all of that from the perspective of, uh, I I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to take risks with other people's lives is simply because we love them. And that's a place where the church, we feel like the church should be as a witness in the world, uh, thinking that we, letting people understand that we value the lives of other human beings and we want to see them protected and we want to see them safe. Uh, sort of a foundational idea uh, behind why we sort of chosen to comply with government guidelines around all of this. Uh, we protect because we're called to love others. Uh, There's an incredible story of Martin Luther in the 1500s. Uh, this was at the time of the bubonic plague. Uh, I was reading some of the early descriptions, the early writing about the coming of the plague. You know, a ship would show up in a port, and within days, like massive numbers of people in these ports would be like dying, and there would be literally bodies piled in the streets. Like obviously, a more virulent thing than we're dealing with in a in a culture where there wasn't any sort of medical support or any kind of uh, infrastructure to uh, deal with these issues. But Martin Luther. I was writing a letter essentially to Christians to help them find uh, a middle ground or find a position on what to do with uh, the plague that they were experiencing. And he said this, he said, some disdain the use of medicines. They do not avoid places and persons infected by the plague, but they lightheartedly make support of it and wish to prove how independent they are. And it's a group of people that Martin Luther is challenging. Hey, your independence and your freedom Uh, and you're making light of this, uh, isn't something that is uh, godly and good. And he unpacks, I'm not going to go into all of it, but he unpacks some of the same arguments that we've looked at. And he said his, his response is different. His response is this, I shall avoid persons and places where my presence is not needed in order to become in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance infect and pollute others. And so cause their death as a result of my negligence. So this is a really important church leader in his time and in his place, uh, speaking uh, into a situation similar to ours and just saying really simply, uh, I don't want to be responsible for anybody's blood being on my hands. And so we know that there are stories of churches. Uh, There's a church in Kingston, a church in Winnipeg, a number of churches in Steinbeck, Manitoba, uh, all churches all over the country that sort of defied those rules. Um, 
and said, hey, we're going to meet together because it's our right to meet together and we should meet together. And out of those experiences, in particular the peace in the church in Kingston uh, there was, and, and the church in Manitoba, there are just a number of, of infections and outbreaks that happened because of church meetings that were ungoverned and, and not watched over. So because of Christian gathering, friends and family of beloved people in those congregations went into great illness and were sick and passed away. And, and we could say, you know, how do you deal with that? How do you as a pastor, how would I as a pastor deal with that if as a result of us being careless, and, and anything can happen, but as a result of us being careless, uh, people in our extended uh, sphere of influence dying because we felt it need to meet in person. And so uh, we feel the need to sort of take this kind of thing uh, responsibly and to simply be people who don't cause harm. And we know this disease like transfers to Christians and to believers. Like, like we're not uh, seemingly under an, a special blanket of protection around this. Uh, the head of the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, which would be the blanket organization that connects and, and helps uh, sort of support all of the churches uh, from Pentecostal to Vineyard to Baptist to... Um, uh, Methodist to Free Methodist, all of these different denominations that are connected. Um, the head of that organization uh, has been in hospital in Perth in the ICU with COVID for uh, days and days and days. And he's just like, looks like he's turning the corner now, but came quite close to losing his life. Uh, Bruce Cleminger uh, attended OVV for, for quite some time. Uh, and so this is not a thing that we're protected from. Like Martin Luther said, uh, we have some responsibilities in terms of our actions, in terms of how to walk uh, through this. Um, and, and when we want to say, like, what fights against that, against that is that sort of our sense of, hey, it's our freedom. It's our right to meet together. Well, the scriptures speak into our rights. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19, and then verses 22 and 23, it says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, by all means, that I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. So even though Paul was free to do all kinds of things that uh, sort of in terms of his conscience, in terms of what was his right, in terms of what was his ability, in terms of the freedom that Christ had given him to maneuver and act and, and go and be in society, he allowed himself to live under restrictions uh, so that he had the right and authority and the uh, a relational equity with people in order to preach the gospel. So he re reduced his freedom. He restricted himself for the sake of his voice, for the sake of relationship, and for the sake of love. And so that's really important for us, uh, this principle of love. The principle of self-sacrificing love should be enough to guide us. Uh, but beyond that, we also have the rule of law in this country. Uh, we live in a context where, uh, you know, we, we might know what is the loving thing to do and what is the right thing to do, but we don't always do it and we don't always know what to do. So we have this incredible organization over us, no matter what you feel about it, called the government, uh, that is saying things to us about how we're allowed to behave. Now, in the United States, as to this really specifically to the question why we don't uh, force the issue of gathering together, 
Um, in, under the U.S. Constitution, under the First Amendment, and we're so familiar with this because we're so inculcated by American culture, uh, we, we understand that they have the right to assembly. And every court case that's been brought uh, against churches or where churches have brought a case against their uh, state governments or whatever it is to say, hey, we have the right to meet under the First Amendment, uh, this, the, the Supreme Court of the United States has upheld those challenges because in their Supreme Court or in their First Amendment, they do have the right to assembly. Uh, in Canada, we also, under our Charter of Rights and Freedoms, have something called uh, the Freedom of Peaceable, peaceable Assembly. That's, uh, that's enshrined in our charter as well. But that word peaceable uh, in the courts has been taken to, I mean, if you are going to cause death or harm to other humans, that's not peaceable. <laughs> Uh, so under that under that definition, uh, as it's been sort of laid out over time and the way the courts have interpreted that word peaceful, uh, the cases of medical emergencies and things like that say, hey, you don't have the right to meet in a way that's going to actually cause physical harm uh, to other human beings. And what the, the courts do support is that we as Canadians have the right um, to freedom of religion and freedom of conscience so that we can uh, still, and that, those things are, are things that are being challenged and those things that are being going through the courts on all kinds of different issues. But in Canada, we have that what it essentially says is that it's possible for us to worship God on a Zoom call. It's possible for us to worship God uh, through YouTube and through Facebook. It's possible for us to worship God with masks on and all of this. So if it is possible to worship God that way and to think about God that way and to have freedom of thoughts about God that way, then you don't need to gather to worship God. And for the sake of society and for the sake of safety, um, you don't have to do that. So we have those uh, those sort of rules that are sort of guiding us. And so the question uh, that leads us, of course, to really a lot bigger questions, how should the church relate to government rules even when they seem unfair? So we might say in our area, there's hardly any cases. There's hardly anything happening. Um, there's so few people that are at risk. That risk of transmission in Lanark, Leeds, Grenfell is way less than that in Ottawa. It's way less than that in Toronto or Peel or any of these other regions. Uh, and the restrictions seem unfair to certain businesses. The restrictions seem unfair here and seem, seem unfair there. How do we deal with that sense of we live under, underneath a government that obviously doesn't get it right all the time? We live underneath a government that doesn't, uh, you know, serve all of us evenly and fairly and perfectly. So how do we deal with that? Um, and Paul gives us all of this in Romans uh, chapter 13. And also we see it in Peter. We've looked at that in uh, Peter, 1 Peter 2, I believe, um, in uh, yeah, 1 Peter 2, 13 and 17 on a previous week. But let me just read Romans uh, 13, uh, 1 to 7, because it's actually very challenging for us. And I've just, just for the sake of making it a little shorter, I've... Uh, I've cut it up a little bit, but let's just read it. You can open your Bible and catch the full text if you want. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Has resisted what God has appointed. Wait a minute. Didn't you vote in the authorities? Well, we voted in this democracy. But God appointed. So there's something of the sovereignty of God here for us to unpack. And there's lots of, lots of discussion around that. We're just going to go past it for a moment. Um, resist what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Uh, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. 
So what Paul is saying to the, the church in Rome is, and this is speaking to Rome possibly under this terrible de- dictator Nero, right? So this is Rome, uh, him speaking to a brutal, brutal regime. Let everyone be subject to this brutal regime that he is saying that God has appointed. This is a, a crazy thing for us to understand in our freedom-based, individual, autonomy-based culture. Uh, and we're going to hear Peter say it, because it's good to hear another person from the New Testament say this as well. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So you are to do this, to submit to authorities, to put to silence the ignorance of people who are criticizing you as being uh, an idiotic tribe of humans that's messing with the world. That's how we are seen uh, by the outside culture. That's how the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, evangelicals in general, are seen. And I've seen lots of this on social media. Criticism against our tribe of believers, because sometimes the way we've spoken and the way we've acted has made it possible for people to make that case against us, uh, that we are... Uh, foolish people. We are uh, rebellious. We are causing problems. So it says, live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. So we live within the society and within the rules of the society, but we're actually called to more goodness than the society, not less. We're not called to come up to where the rules take us. We're not come to follow the, called to follow the rules to the letter. We're called to follow the rules, and then within that, do the better things than the rules that God is calling us to do. We're actually called to a higher standard. So live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So we're serving God. And listen to this phrase again, ending similarly to Paul's in Romans 13. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood of God, or fear God, and honor the emperor. So we fear God, but we honor the emperor, which at this time when Peter was writing, we know for sure in terms of the timing of that letter, at least we're highly certain that he was saying honor Nero, who was torching Christians in his pad, on his patio. Like this, is, this is extremely challenging for us in our world to think about this. But this is the instruction that Peter is giving. And uh, I, I think we could have some discussion about that, what that really means for us. And we're going to talk about in a second what protest uh, means for us and when we protest and all of that uh, kind of thing. But again, this is a really challenging thing. I want to just center for a second on this phrase, though, honor the emperor. Uh, in, in doing a little word study on that honor, we think honor might mean to just not say bad things about somebody. To just quietly, uh, like, if we disagree with Trudeau, say, we're just going to quietly um, not say the criticism that we want to say or not say the mean things that are in our hearts. But honor isn't just not saying things. Honor is actually uh, adding to someone, building something into someone, building something up in someone. So honor is a, is a totally different deal for us. So if you're out there and you're seeing your friends, uh, your Christian friends, or maybe you are out there uh, saying snarky things about the leadership that's governing uh, our country, it's, it's actually contrary to what Scripture calls you to do. Scripture calls you to pray for our leaders and to honor them and to build them up and to strengthen them so that they have the strength and ability and capacity uh, to see you, to see your needs, to see you not as an enemy so that they can lead you well. So we have to be careful with our voices. 
um, in society. And again, sometimes we run into situations where there's, uh, you know, tremendous evil that's maybe need to be spoken out against, but there are ways to do that. Ways to deal with evil that we see in society. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But I want to bring us back to Jesus because we've spoken about Paul and we've spoken about Peter. But what did Jesus do about this? What did Jesus say against this oppressive regime, Rome, that he was dealing with, right? We only see two spaces in the scripture, well, actually three, where he kind of deals with uh, Rome and what's going on. And the first is in Matthew chapter 5, 41, and it's a part of a larger passage where he's uh, saying, if somebody asks for your uh, your cloak, give him your you know, shirt as well, that kind of a deal. He's like, overgive, overgive when somebody demands something from you. One of the illustrations he uses there is, uh, whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Well, what he's referring to there is a rule that Roman officers had that they could take anybody beside the road who wasn't a Roman citizen and conscript them to carry the burdens of a Roman officer. So if the Roman troops are marching through and the guy's got a shield and a pack and it's getting heavy for him, he can just take any guy off the side of the road and say, hey, you're going to march with me for a while. You're going to carry that with me, beside me, and then I don't have to carry it and I can take a break. And the Jews were incensed about this. They were incredibly angry that they were being conscripted to support the Roman military when it was something that they really hated. And Jesus' response to this unjust law over them was to whoever forces you to go one mile with them say, hey, I'll go another if you want. That's challenging for us when unjust things seem to be uh, placed on us, burdens seem to be placed on us that seem unfair. That's what Jesus says to do with that. This makes us uncomfortable, right? Uh, but Matthew 22, 21, we see it again uh, regarding overtaxation. Of course, this is another area where Jesus was uh, a part of a context, part of a Jewish community that was hating this thing about Rome. And his uh, solution was just give to Caesar what is Caesar, but give to God what is God's. So an obedience in giving. Um, I think... Uh, John 19 is another really interesting example, and that's where Jesus is uh, talking to Pilate uh, regarding uh, this sort of Roman penal authority that Pilate had. Pilate literally had Jesus in his hands and had the power of life or death over him. And Jesus' response to Pilate saying, hey, you know, make a deal with me. Talk to me. Like, I can set you free. I can do all of this. And, and Pilate is sort of building up his case for Jesus to kind of suck up to him and stop making the Jews angry and all of this kind of deal. And Jesus knows what has to happen. He knows what has to go forward. And uh, Pilate says to him, do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus just gently reminds Pilate. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. And so this is where Peter and, and Paul got their idea that the authorities that are placed over us have something to do with the power and the sovereignty of God. And that we reckon with not just the authorities over us, but somehow in reckoning with them, we have to be aware of what God's role in, in the whole story is. So that's, again, this is very challenging for us the way we think in our culture today. So what is the church's role in politics and in protest? What do we do when we see injustice? What do we do when we see uh, so much evil? Like, I, I don't know if you guys followed the story in the United States, but how brutal 
it was to have protesters storming uh, their Capitol building. And not just any protesters, not just an angry mob, but clearly some who were intentional, some who had zip ties, some who had um, pipe bombs, uh, some who had tools for breaking down doors and smashing glass, uh, some of them wearing t-shirts like, uh, I mean, I can hard, I can hardly even say it, but people wearing t-shirts that really saying that the six million, I can't even say it, the six million Jews that were murdered in the Holocaust, like not enough, six M-N-E, six million, not enough. That level of anti-Semitism, that kind of hatred. And that's what those people were doing. And that's what those people were wearing. And that's what those people were about. So how do we speak into that? Or how do we speak into the other side of the equation uh, to uh, abortion, to uh, the millions of children that are, that are murdered? How do we speak into that as Christians? What do we do with these very, very challenging uh, and complex issues? And I'm just going to, I think there's things to say about these, but I want to start with what the scripture calls the churches to do about these things. There are 7,959 verses in the New Testament. And those verses tell the story of Jesus. And they're full of instruction on how to live and to follow his kingdom. Uh, they're full of how to build up one another, how to strengthen one another, how to encourage one another, how to uh, make this alternative kingdom called the church that we all live in be a place that looks as much like it is influenced by, led by Jesus as possible. Uh, the t New Testament speaks to us. The New Testament speaks to you. The New Testament speaks to me. The New Testament speaks to church leaders all over the world, calling us to live and to be in a certain way. And I can't find a single verse in that New Testament that tells us to protest the old kingdom. We are called to build an alternative kingdom of light. We are called to lift up Jesus. And again, I'm not saying that there's never a time for protest. I'm not saying we shouldn't speak out uh, in certain ways and in certain times about racism and things like that. I'm not saying that that's not a part of the picture. I think there is a time when there is uh, specific individuals among us, maybe with a bit of a prophetic vocation. Uh, there's ways of us uh, entering into society, but by far, by far, that is the smallest part of what we do. It is the smallest part of what we do compared to the power of prayer and compared to the power of building a shining example of an alternative way of living. A kingdom of Jesus alive on the earth through his body. Through his body. So if you're just simply weighing, what is my strategy? What do I do about the evil that I see in the world? You build the kingdom. And, and that, listen, without a single verse or word that we have recorded of Jesus or Paul protesting the emperor, like of actually saying and calling them out on the evil and wicked things that were happening, without a single verse of protest, they absolutely transformed the Roman world by the power of the Holy Spirit. They absolutely turned it completely upside down over a matter of generations.
the world's changed by an organic church growing as Jesus talked about his kingdom as yeast in the dough, as leaven in the lump, as seeds in fields, as mustard seeds. So primary strategy, less time on social media, more time on our knees, less time in protest test and shouting and armchair quarterbacking and ranting and more time uh, discipling people to live like Jesus. We have to become a discipling church. And that's where the by far the bulk of our time and our energy has to go. Listen, when we think of the church, we want to go back to a time when the church had power. We want to go back to a time when the church had influence in a powerful way. Uh, do you know that Jesus was offered that? In his lifetime, he was offered leadership of every nation on the planet. He was offered uh, the ability to set policy for every human being on earth. He was offered the seat of Rome. He was offered China. He was offered all that. We see it in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, when he is tempted by the devil, the prince of this world, and brought to a high mountain, who showed him with some kind of telescopic vision all of the kingdoms on the earth. Imagine Jesus on up some mountain in, in, uh, in Judea looking out and with sort of telescopic spiritual vision looking across to the east and seeing India and China, uh, looking to see uh, the Philippines, looking to see the kingdoms of Africa, the tribal kingdoms there, looking across the ocean to see uh, the communities and tribes in North America that were living there at this time, looking across Europe and seeing uh, the Germanic people, looking uh, at Rome and seeing Rome, this leader of the uh, entire sort of world around the Mediterranean and the enemy who is the prince of this world said to Jesus, you can have charge of this all. All you have to do is worship me. And Jesus gave up that opportunity for power and control and influence and chose to plant an organic kingdom of people who would worship God on their knees. That's the strategy he chose. And that's got to be our strategy. In a highly polarized world, the most courageous place to stand uh, is between those poles inviting both sides to follow Jesus. Inviting both sides in from the extremes, in and out of racism and into Jesus' kingdom of love, uh, in uh, from a, a liberalism that is without morality, that is without truth, that is without um, a, a foundation, into Jesus' kingdom of love. We're called to build something better build something better. So that's really the first couple of questions that were in our grab bag. And, uh, and I think it's just, I hope you're okay with that. Me, me sharing, this is, this is my heart on this issue. This is what I think brings us together. This is what, why I think our position at OVV is to continue being who we are and doing who, what we're doing to continue to focus on our groups, to continue to focus on discipleships. So there's just a few more grab bag issues that I want to hit that sort of trigger us. And we're just going to go through those ones a little bit more quickly. Uh, mercy. So just hang on tight, guys. Uh, I know this was a bit long. Uh, we're just going to hit these other ones quick or else it's going to be a whole other sermon. Uh, how can I know what is true 
And what is a conspiracy theory, right? This is a huge part of actually the conflict and the challenge that we face. Um, yeah, so really, really, um, how do we know what's true? And, and the bottom line is we know what's true by knowing what's true. Um, it is so uh, important for us as we look at media sources, that we look at news, uh, as we do all of that is to just begin to look at evidence, like look for real evidence, look for real sources. If you hear that a politician said something and it's interpreted to mean this and you see it as a blip on your social media feed, you find the video and listen to it to see if that politician said that, right? You find the real evidence. And if you can't find the real evidence, uh, it's, it's not real. It's not right. You don't take second and third and fourth hand evidence. You learned this all in high school when you're writing essays. You be historians of the present. You be historians of the truth and have a very high standard as people uh, who are called to rule in this world, to be influencers on this planet. If we're building an alternative kingdom, it had better be built on a true understanding of the context in which we're building it. So we do the work and don't be lazy about what we understand and what we see and what we look at in terms of the sources we're believing. If you want to know if it's conspiracy theory or not, we have to dig in and find the evidence or you don't make a decision if you don't have the evidence. You can't make our, we can't make our decisions on light and fluffy and inflammatory and ungrounded things. We need to have a high standard. Research your news sources. Um, the other thing that's really important is, uh, I should have put the verse in, I can't, I can't dial it up right now, but uh, truth is tied to righteousness. You want to look at the people who are speaking, the political voices who are out there shouting, uh, and you want to find out, is that person a person who is living in righteousness? Or is that person's character uh, trash? Is that, you're, you're going to put less weight on the voice of a person who has not got strong character, who is not living in a Christ-like way. And the other thing you want to look for is humility. You have to look to voices uh, that clearly are evidencing a heart to serve, a heart to care, a heart that loves. Um, a heart that doesn't see self above all else, a heart that doesn't seem to be full of ambition. Um, we look for humility. So just as you're looking at all these sources, wondering what's true, what's not true, back to the evidence. Uh, look for righteousness. Look, Does that person who's putting out this information have uh, some kind of brutal agenda that they're trying to fulfill, or do they have a heart that's trying to serve? So that's what we're looking for. Uh, the question about asking vaccines, I've been asked that all the time. And my answer on this one is simple. Don't ask your pastor, ask your doctor. <laughs> um, I, think, I think this is an area where we can have uh, a quite a bit of trust in the medical professionals that, uh, um, that, that guide us. Like if you look in your doctor's eye, and, 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 you know, the, you, I, I, I see Dr. Buckley in Carlton Place. She's a wonderful, wonderful doctor. And when I look her in the eye and we're talking about, you know, you, you're a little overweight. You got to deal with some of this stuff that's going on. I don't see anything in her that wants evil for me. I don't see anything in her that wants my bad. But she has information and knowledge and, and uh, study and experience that I don't have. But when I look in her eyes, I'm confident I can trust her. So she knows my medical conditions. She knows what I'm wrestling with. And, and when it comes time to take a vaccine, I'll take her word on whether I should take that thing or not. Because she's my physician. 
She's my doctor. And there's going to be mistakes and there's going to be problems. But by and large, uh, when you look at the government and what it's trying to do and the people who God has appointed over us and the companies that even that designed the vaccine, it's in their best interest to design a good vaccine so they can sell more vaccines. Even if you look at purely the mode of a profit, a crummy vaccine, they don't have any motivation to make that. They don't have, they don't want to have a news story where uh, they've, uh, sort of blown out a whole bunch of people and a whole bunch of people died. That's not good for them. They're highly motivated to do something that's good and right. So you look people's eyes, you look at their motives, uh, you look to your physician who you trust, and you say, hey, um, is this thing going to be good for me? And and that's that's what to trust. Um, not your pastor. <laughs> um, what role uh, should social media have in my life? Um, and this is uh, just, again, a quick one. Um, I have had times in my life where I have gone down the rabbit hole of spending an enormous time on social media uh, trying to argue with people. I had a little one this week that I think maybe was worth it, maybe not. Um, uh, but but it's more the, the bigger issue is uh, the, the tone and the spirit and the um, overarching influence that you're allowing into your life that you are washing your soul and your spirit with. And so that's the, the, the concern that I want to bring up is uh, you actually, while it does create a bit of an echo chamber, and if you're highly conservative, you're going to see mostly conservative posts, or if you're highly liberal, you're going to see mostly liberal posts that are going to kind of agree with you and kind of build up that position. Uh, you're not going to see... Um, something that is tailored for you that is the word of God, that is the word of life, that is uh, going to build you up, that is going to encourage you, really. It's going to be snippets of information, uh, but it's not where life is. And so uh, I think a smaller dose for us, uh, and I think we should be really wary of addiction, right? Like uh, those platforms are designed to keep you clicking, to drive advertising, to drive dollars, and uh, that little click, and there's lots of science on this, that constant clicking through social media, through Instagram, through whatever it is, uh, gives us a little hit of a dopamine in our brain that helps us feel like we're accomplishing something, but we're not actually accomplishing anything. Your life, your body, your influence, the power that God has given you, the authority that God has given you, I think is very often wasted, just wasted on the constant clicking. Uh, you're bathing yourself in stuff that isn't necessarily building you up, and you're pouring out your life, your clicks, on stuff that is a waste of your time and energy when you could be influencing somebody to follow Jesus. Uh, I use social media a little bit for intel on people that I love. Uh, sometimes I'll look around to see how you guys are doing, what your stories are saying, uh, what struggles you have, just so that I can know, so that I can be praying for you. I think that's a good motivation to be looking through social media um, as people share their stories. Of course, we all share our stories the way we want to share them. They don't necessarily speak to the truth of who we are, so we need a little bit of discernment, but then we make personal contact. And the other thing I want to say about social media is that important ideas need books. You cannot engage with the big issues of our culture and the big thoughts and understand what's happening in the world without reading books. 
And I strongly encourage you to be readers, not just constant little tiny little one liner, one little snippet, one little thing from social media, but get yourself a book that helps you engage with the issues that are going on and read deeply about subjects so that you actually learn deeply uh, and understand the nuances of things. We all become experts uh, based on a couple of posts on social media, and it's just not enough. Uh, if we want to be people of truth, people who research, then it's then it's worth uh, digging in deeper. And then this is the last and the most hopeful uh, piece for us. That question, where is God in all this? And I was having a conversation this week uh, with someone and uh, we were chatting. It was Kathy Moore Crispin and we we're just sort of talking through some of this stuff. And, and she's like, you know what? God's not locked in a broom closet. And I know I cracked up like he's not locked in a broom closet in all this. Like he is your sovereign Lord and King of the universe. He is not unaware of what's going on. He follows every social media profile for you. Just so you know, he knows what's behind all of those stories. He knows what every politician is thinking when they go to sleep at night. He knows uh, every single virus Peace, like every single virus organism on the planet, he is aware of where it is. He's aware of what's going on in the hospitals. He's aware of the needs of our nurses and our frontline workers. He is aware and he is moving and he is calling us to move alongside him and build his kingdom in this moment, to build his church, to build his family, uh, to make an alternative kingdom of love that is going to stand as a witness to the world and show forth his glory. To show forth his glory and his might and his power and his love that will draw people into it faster than we can ever by criticizing them and by shutting them down on social media. Amen? Amen. So the joy and the power and the life is in the kingdom of God. So run to it. Run to the kingdom. If you're here and you're not a believer and you're wondering what to do in this crazy time, turn your heart, turn your life towards Jesus. Uh, begin to follow him. Begin to get to know him. Begin to let him transform you. Be a disciple. Become a discipler. I uh, really, really, really would encourage you to go deep in Jesus. So there you go. That's it. There's our little grab bag of things. Come on ahead, Jake, and you can, why don't you pray for us? I've, I've done enough talking. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for all your comments in the chat as well. Let's just pray, and uh, we'll stick around for some for some more chatting and praying with everybody that's uh, that's online. Thanks for being with us. Um, yeah, let's just turn our attention to the Lord here. God, we uh, we we really do come with um, with heavy hearts in all that's going on, and also also in a hope. I just think this is a good word, and um, we just thank you, Father, for the fact that you're not locked in a broom closet. <laughs> just thank you thank you that you're you're all around us that uh your kingdom has come near that was the central message of jesus is that the kingdom has come near and i thank you that it's near in, in every living room that's tuned in watching us today it's near in every heart that's confused or scared or unsure it's it's near in this basement where we are broadcasting from just thanks that you're near god we want to fix our eyes on you um I, I, your word says to set your mind on the things that are above not on things on earth and um that doesn't mean we completely unplug from issues or don't raise our voice, but God, there's something to be found in that. There's, there's strategies that we can learn from from the early church that 
was in an oppressive environment, but cha- transformed that time and culture. Um, seeking your kingdom first and, and and fixing their eyes on you. Mm-hmm. Help us to live that way, Father. Help us yes, not Lord. to not to hear a message yes, that's Lord. encouraging complacency or rolling over, but to hear it really is an offensive message. But it's 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 weaponizing love. It's it's making disciples and 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 seeing your kingdom come first. It's it's a different way of being on the offensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it just is. yeah, just uh, just teach us this, Father. Yes, help Lord. us to help us each day, one day at a time, to to navigate. Um, um, challenging conversations help us not mm-hmm. to be caught up in um yeah useless clicking of our lives away but help us to to dig in and seek you mm-hmm. in this time so i just bless everybody who's tuned in i just thank you father and help us to to find you in this and to stay united and to um yeah just see your kingdom come first we fix our eyes on you and set our hope and our hearts and minds on you god just thank you thank you so much in jesus name mm-hmm. i pray amen mm-hmm. amen mm-hmm. yeah Amen. Thanks so much for all your comments in the chat. Uh, really appreciate, yeah. uh, really appreciate that. I'm loving Brent Young's comment. Joy to the world. Joy man. to the world. Amen. Brent, that's what we're supposed to be. Yeah. That's let's, like, come on. Yeah, that's what the church that. is supposed to be is yeah. joy to the world. Yeah. Absolutely. Like an all joyful alternative. Yeah. Right. That's king, full of life yeah. and yeah. full of hope and full of peace. Right. Yeah. Amen. Not, not with our heads buried in the sand. The early church suffered like crazy. Yeah. But, um, man, yeah. To yeah. live as a joyful witness. Yeah. There's not, there's that. no more stronger testimony than, yeah. than to have the fruit of the Holy Spirit, like yeah. joy, just teeming in your life. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Thanks, Vince. Appreciate it. Yeah. Some really yeah. good comments here. Just appreciate everybody saying amen, chiming in. Um, Jim, these are more powerful than social media. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Amen. That's awesome. Thanks. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking a lot. I, I, we want to catch some questions here. Just... Um, I, I was pointed to this movie called uh, Sheep Among Wolves. I don't okay. know if we've talked about it on stream before, but so. it's, there's two of them. There's there's two movies made about the underground church in Iran. Yep. And uh, you want to talk about Christians in an oppressive right, vi- environment. Right. And the posture with which they walk forward and the way that the gospel is spreading in Iran is okay. amazing. you got to see these movies. Cool. Um, yeah. Sheep send, Among you Wolves. You sent me a link to that all. Yeah. They're yeah. on YouTube in full yeah. length. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's two of them, and they're just fantastic. Yeah. 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 I can't say, I can't say enough. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We should release. Right. Uh, yeah. So we typically will do a little bit of a Q&A uh, during this next a little while. But if you were just here for the sermon and you've got kids running around or whatever it is and you have got to go, we want to release you. So, yeah. again, the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Uh, if you want to stick around and chat, we would, we'd love to have you. So. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.